favourite verses from. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Uh, there are so many verses that people love. In fact, um, many people choose this to study. Mandy, when she first became a Christian, um, decided that with the group of people that she was with that she'd just memorise a book of the Bible. And they picked two books. And one was 1 Peter and one was Philippians, word for word from start to finish. That's, why would Mandy choose Philippians? Well, you, you can test her on a verse after, don't you hate me for saying that. But, but the thing is, the reason why people choose to memorise portions of scripture from this book is because it's just filled with joy. It's filled with uh, things that help us realise that in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can find joy. You know, Paul's filled with joy as he's actually writing this book. He's uh, right in the most difficult circumstances, though, when he's writing He's writing from in prison as he's penning the, the words to Philippians. And he's filled with joy, though. He's got blisters on his heels and he's got blisters on his toes, but he's still running the race. And he's winning as he's running. He's really winning. Paul's been abandoned by many. Many people have left him. Many people have turned away from him. But he still believed that servanthood was the road to being a strong finisher. His present situation actually looked hopeless. But he was consumed with the hope that Christ can bring. Under house arrest, being watched over by guards, Paul was filled with confidence that things would actually be made new. He discovered the secret of contentment, the secret of joy, even in the times of the toughest and most difficult situation. Now, Paul discovered it. The challenge is for us to know this joy ourselves, to know the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, the joy that comes from trusting in him, <laughs> the joy that comes from putting your faith in Christ. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., he was a member of the US Supreme Court for 30 years, and his mind and his wit had really earned him the unofficial title of the greatest justice uh, since John Marshall, who was also a great uh, justice. But at one point in his life, uh, this Justice Holmes explained his choice of career by saying, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> he might have become a pastor if all the other you know, clergy and the pastors didn't look so sad. Uh, I think it's a challenge for us as Christians when we're not feeling joyful, this deep joy of knowing Christ, how can we live? How can, what are we saying about the God who we serve? You know, happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Christ. As we begin to open the pages of this book, Philippians, why don't we sing for joy? Walk down memory lane for many of you, hey? If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up at Philippians chapter 1. Now, the book of Philippians is actually um, written to Christians in a town called Philippi. And do you ever sit down and read your Bible and think, I wonder what, what happened. I wonder how this church actually came into being, how this church began way back um, at the time 
of the early church. I wonder how it happened. Uh, the, the Church of Philippi is one of those rare churches where its birth is actually recorded right there in the Bible. You can actually read how this church began. And why don't we actually turn across now to Acts 16 together, if you have your Bibles there, and, and we'll just have a look at how this, this church was actually birthed, how it began. Now, up here on my uh, PowerPoint, I saw... Um, oh, it hasn't come out too well, has it? We can imagine a little bit there, but I saw Kerry Schubert do this last week and I want to do it too now. <laughs> but if you have a look in your Bibles, Acts 16, it says, Paul and Silas first went to Derby, then to Lystra. And this is on Paul's second ministry, missionary journey. And so over here, look at that, there's Derby, and then they went on to Lystra. All right? That's what our Bibles are saying there. Um, a, a young... Uh, they, there they met Timothy. Then if we jump down, um, they went from town to town. If we go to verse 6, we say, Next, Paul and Silas travelled through the area of um, Figra, Pygra, and Galatia. So if we look there and we see they're moving up here, uh, there's, there's Pygra and Galatia around there. They're moving up through here. And they get to this point there. That's where we're up to right now. Then, coming to the borders of Maja, they headed to the province of Bethina, Bethina. <laughs> and they moved up, they started to head this way, right? started to try to go up this way, but look what happened. But the Spirit of Jesus did not let them go, so instead they went through Mysia to the town of Troas. Have a look here, over here. This is where they are, right? Then the next thing, that night Paul had a vision from a man from Macedonia, in northern Greece, pleading, come over, come here and help us. So he gets a vision and, and says, come and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once uh, if, for we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news. So here they are here uh, at Troas. This is a, uh, some, some water there, the Aragon Sea. And then over there is Macedonia up here and they're heading over here by boat across here. So they end up in verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace and next we landed at Neapolis. From there, there's Neapolis, we reached the city of Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony and we stayed there for several days. So there's Paul on his second missionary journey, travelling all these little ways from here, was going, heading in one direction, Spirit of God, Something to go one way, then they received a vision about um, someone, the man from Macedonia, so they changed their plans and they started following. And from this town here in uh, Neapolis, about six, 15, 16 kilometres from the coastline up to Philippi, and that's where they landed. Anyway, what happened in Acts 6, 16, you can read it there in your own time, but this is what happened. On the Sabbath, Paul actually went down and he went down to the riverside and he was hoping to find a group of uh, believers who might be there coming to the riverside to pray. And he came across a group of women and, and he struck up a conversation with them. And he struck up a conversation with a woman named Lydia and he just started talking to her. And she was a worshipper of God but she actually didn't know anything about Jesus yet. And she was a businesswoman, she was well off, she was wealthy and she traded in expensive fabrics and clothing. And Paul started to talk with her. And at some point in their conversation, 
she came to a point where she actually believed in Jesus Christ and she became a follower of Christ. Right there at the riverbank, uh, she became a follower of Christ. So she started to trust in Jesus as her Lord and Saviour and by the time they actually left that riverbank edge that day, the city of Philippi had its first follower of Christ. She was baptised right there in the water and the first member of its church. That was the beginning of the church in Philippi. That's not just the beginning. Later in the chapter, of six, uh, chapter 16 of Acts, Paul's arrested because a conflict that arose when this girl with a demon sort of was coming around and following him nine and day saying, you, you people are, are, are God's people. You, you're followers of Christ. You're telling people about how they can be saved. And it annoyed Paul so much that had this lady following around that, that they said, you know, come out to the demon that was inside. And what happened is the owners of this slave girl realised that all their business and their income from this girl was wrecked and so they got mad at Paul and they got mad at Silas and they throw them in, in jail and uh, they were arrested. And so they spent their first night in jail and the Bible says in Acts 16 that instead of saying, oh, we weren't guilty, you know, you guys, why have you thrown us in there? This is unfair, this is injustice. Instead, the Bible says that they were praying and that they were singing right in the midst of jail singing praises to God. And in the middle of all that, God sent this huge earthquake right there to rock the jail, to break the chains of these, these pris- the, the, the prisoners, Paul and so on, and to actually set them free. And that night, before that night ended, the jailer who noticed that Paul and Silas, when the chains fell off, didn't run to escape, saw the difference in these men that were filled with joy, and he said, you know, what must I do? How can I know this Jesus? And right then and there, they told them who Jesus was. He became a follower of Christ. And the Bible says that not only him, but all his family believed and were baptised that night. It's two instances, isn't it? Lydia believed and was baptised. The jailer and his whole family believed and were baptised. This is what started the church in Philippi and this afternoon at Wodonga District Baptist Church, all these years later, for those who have believed, you can be baptised. You can be starting a, the baptism courses are beginning today, a new, new lot of baptism classes. And uh, they're on this afternoon, three, four o'clock, right here at the administration building. So you can just join Lydia and the jailer and his family and being baptised too by just coming this, this afternoon. Um, but this is how this church began. We know now how the church in Philippi started. This was what, how it all began, just with Paul sharing, people responding, coming to know Jesus, the jailer and his family. And they would have started from then to actually uh, you know, worship and, and begin a little church. Now we've got this letter here from Paul's... Um, writing to them 10 years later after these first initial events happened in the church at Philippi. And this, this uh, book of Philippians only has 104 verses. And yet when they received it, they would have smiled from ear to ear. They would have been wrapped because they knew the person who'd wrote it to them. They knew Paul. Not only did they know Paul, but they loved, loved him dearly. And in the first century, uh, he, this is the typical way to begin letters as he begins. He, he, instead of writing at the end, you know how we write, you know, lots of love, Jonathan. In, in the first century, they always wrote letters with the name right at the very front. 
just saying who they were. So this is, is, is normal. And as they wrote, this, is, this, is, this letter is from Paul, the words begin in, this, in Philippians. They would have just automatically been flooded with memories of Paul and all we'd done, all the things that he'd helped them with. Years ago, he'd pulled together this group, and here's a letter coming from him. Uh, can you imagine what that must be like? Perhaps you remember someone impacting your life so greatly, sharing the gospel with you so much that you actually gave your life to Jesus and started a whole journey of growing more and more to become like him. Imagine receiving a letter from them after 10 years. Oh, as you open those first pages, it would have been great. And, and, and read those first lines. This is how the Philippian church must have felt. So Paul begins the letter. This letter is from Paul and Timothy. You know, he added Timothy's name right there. But in actual fact, Timothy didn't write any of the letter. Uh, he mentions this, uh, he mentions Timothy here only because he was really known to the Philippians. And uh, he mentions them because you know, Timothy had a keen interest in the church at Philippi and he really was interested about them. So Paul included him as, as, uh, in the greeting. He was one who really served with Paul in the work that had happened, uh, of Paul's work. So Paul continues and he says, This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Slaves of Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We've just told you the story of how the Philippi church started. And you think, Paul probably could have written, your great founder, you know. <laughs> Paul, the one who began your church. You know, he could have said, uh, great hotshot in leading people to the Lord. But he didn't write that. He, he, he wrote, you know, the NIV says, servants, one who serves in Christ Jesus. Here in the New Living Translation, it says, a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. When we say that word slave, uh, you know, we think of people with chains on their hands and on their feet, caught and uh, just with no rights of their own. You know, there's a horrible story of people just now being found in Melbourne holding slaves, sex slaves. You know, people, uh, we, we know it's the first case in Victoria and it's just horrific to think of that. And, and we get these pictures of, I remember when I was young watching uh, or hearing and watching bits, I don't think I was really allowed to, but it was that show Roots, you know, uh, with, had all the Negroes that were caught in slavery and the horrible way that they were treated. And it just makes you sick to think that people would treat slaves like that. Is that what Paul was, was meaning here? Uh, that's really not what Paul had in mind, actually. In Paul's time, slaves were usually treated well. Sometimes they were treated really well. They became it was kind of like trusted employees rather than those who were actually forced to work all the time. If you had a good slave owner, then you had a, good, a pretty good life. In fact, the slaves represented their owners at the marketplace. So they'd go down and they'd carry out transaction and business on their behalf. And if a slave owner, a slave's owner was important, then as the business, as they went into the marketplace, they were treated as important because they represented their owner. And if their owner was important, they were treated with respect. So Paul says that they're servants, slaves of Christ. Basically what he's saying is they're owned by Jesus Christ. He's their master. 
He's their Lord. They represented him in their lives, in everything that they did. As they lived, they did it in Jesus' name. As they worked, as they ministered, they did it in Jesus' name. I wonder if you're able to say that this morning. You're able to say, whatever your name is, slave of Christ Jesus. I wonder as we look at your schedule you know, for the week, would people be able to look at your life and say, yes, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm doing what he wants me to do. I'm, I'm living for him every day. If people looked at your, uh, the way you handle your finances, would people be able to say, yes, your name, slave for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the master. You can tell that just by looking in this area. What about the, the way in which you uh, live each day and make decisions of integrity and purity and holiness? Are you one who's living as a slave of Christ, just doing what he wants you to do? Or are you saying, I'm doing really what I want to do? Paul and Timothy, they figured out that issue a long time ago. He said, my rights are gone. I'm a slave, Paul says. I'm a slave, a slave of Christ. I belong to him. Now, um, Paul continues, and he continues by writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the deacons and overseers. This letter is a letter written from slaves to saints. When you hear a word like saints, you know, a lot of things creep up into your mind, don't they? Um, uh, I, I, you think of all those statues of people you know, in uh, old places and museums and everything like that, uh, of men and women um, who have lived incredibly godly lives. And you think, uh, I think of people that, um, you know, uh, down in the ages of history that have been called saints. Do you know, um, in the Catholic Church, I, I, my understanding is that in order to be a saint, you must be able to prove that the person has actually performed at least two miracles in their lifetime. And I believe that when Mother Teresa died, the rule was that that you have to wait five years after the person has died before you can even begin the process of working towards sainthood for that person. But I believe with Mother Teresa, they, they brought it back a bit and they said, well, let's start the process just a little bit earlier. I think it was a year or two years earlier. But the Border Mail yesterday had an article in it, I think actually on Friday, about all these things that's going around now for Pope John Paul and whether they can start the process earlier in ordering to make him a saint. And I thought with all of this stuff, I wouldn't have believed the good fortune that I had this week to actually be able to organise that you and I could actually come face to face with the saint this morning. I've gone to a lot of effort and um, I've been able to organise a saint that's just behind these doors. So I just uh, want to encourage you just to don't get too excited when I bring them out and just treat with a lot of respect and with dignity and everything like that, okay? We're going to go. Ladies and gentlemen, here are saints. Give them a round of applause. You rang? <laughs> well, here it is, Saint Eric. Uh, and we're really pleased to have you here this morning, Eric. And I was just been telling them how fortunate we are to have a saint amongst us. Now, Eric's a saint, and it's not because of his great saxophone playing. <laughs> he's a very uh, great saxophone player, and we love that. But that's not what makes him a saint this morning. Uh, 
Actually, Eric, you've been here 21 years. That's right. And many of you might think, well, actually, you have to be here 20 years to become a saint. And maybe that's why Eric is a saint this morning. But the, yeah. no, it's not uh, length of time that makes Eric a saint. You know, the reason why we've got this special saint here this morning? Because we've been a time in his life when he trusted in Jesus Christ. He gave his heart to him. He became one that was set apart. That's what the word saint means, a set apart one. Now he belongs to Jesus and he's set apart. He's sanctified, he's made holy, not because of what Eric Moulton has done, but because of what Jesus has done. That's right. So Saint Eric, thanks for being here this morning. <laughs> Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> I hope you realise that this morning this place, this church, is just full of saints. Because for you, many of us have come to the point where we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And the Bible says that saints are those who belong to him, the set-apart ones, ones that now are living with Jesus as their master, as their Lord. They belong to him. They're set-apart. They're holy. They're saints. So this letter comes from Paul saying from uh, slaves of Christ Jesus to saints. What an incredible way to start this letter. What an incredible way to begin. As, As we continue to look through it, the question must come before you. Today, can you say that you're a saint? And it comes from nothing that you've done apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. If you've received him, if you've believed in him, if you've trusted in him, then you're set apart. That's the only thing. And you can beat John Paul II even to his sainthood just by trusting in Jesus. Um, Paul finishes his greeting to the Philippian church by saying this, this prayer. He says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. This is a a traditional um, kind of greeting that was given in the day. But he does send his prayer and his hope that the Lord Jesus Christ would give the the followers at Philippi grace and peace. Then Paul goes on and he goes on to express two reasons in this passage for for, for joy and for giving thanks for the Philippians. He gives thanks to God for the Philippians. This is what he says. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I pray always for you and I make my requests with a heart full of joy. Why does he thank God with joy? Well, this is what verse 5 says. Because you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. So Paul's joy comes from the fact he's thankful to God for the partnership that he and the church in Philippi have enjoyed since that very first day on the riverbank, that very first night in in the jail. He's rejoicing in that, that from that time until the day when he was writing this letter, they'd partnered in the gospel together. They'd partnered in sharing the gospel. You know, Lydia and the jailer's family had taken him in They'd shown him hospitality. They'd encouraged him in his work. 
The saints at Philippi later sent him gifts on two occasions, you know, monetary gifts, and they'd obviously continue to display signs of continued growth in their life. They were becoming more and more like Jesus because of the gospel. They were followers of Christ. They were partners in the gospel. And that's what gave Paul great joy. I wonder today as we look across the room and we look around at each other, I wonder what is it today that unites us? Because quite frankly, from here, we all look so incredibly different. <laughs> you know, some, some of you have, uh, are older, some are younger. Some of you have uh, huge incomes and low incomes. I don't know all of that. Okay. <laughs> some of you are from different ethnic backgrounds and others from completely different ethnic backgrounds. Speak different languages, some of us. Some of us... Uh, have different jobs. Some work the land, some work the office, some work the phone, whatever we do. But we've got so very different kind of jobs. And we've got so many different places where we live. Some are close, some are far off. Yesterday I was right up in Rand on a, on a farm with a whole lot of people that live up there in that beautiful part of the world from our church that come all that way um, down to, to me. So we don't all live in the same spot, you know. So what is it today that unites us all as we look around? What is it, the one thing that we have that unifies us? Well, Paul says that he finds great joy in their unity in partnering together for the gospel. And I think that's what Paul would want us to find great joy in, in joy in knowing Jesus Christ and as a result, living the Christian life and sharing it with other people that we'd be together in that, that the reason that we, we're together here in this church is not just because we want to have a whole lot of fun together, and we do have a lot of fun together, don't we? Yeah. yeah. But because overall the, the reason is because we love Jesus. Amen. We're his slaves. We're his saints. We belong to him. That's the thing that unites us. And that's the thing that encourages and spurs us on to, to, to follow him. One, one warning here. Now, Paul found his deepest joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if we find our deepest joy in anything else, we're in deep trouble. If we find our deepest joy in record attendances, and we had record attendance here on Easter Sunday, and it was wonderful to see so many people that came here and running out of seats so that people had to be right up in the back. If we find greatest joy in that, then Paul says, it's not what I'm hoping that you'll find greatest joy in. And if we find greatest joy in the right amount of offerings coming in, now if we found greatest joy in whether the style of service suits us just right, if we find greatest joy in uh, you know, the, anything else, anything else, then we're going to lose our focus. But when our joy comes from what unites us, when our joy comes from Christ, then we'll truly be united. We'll be serving together and ministering together and that will mean that we've got a great place with great joy. You know, um, some people have caused so much division in churches. So many have just shamelessly ripped apart God's beautiful bride of Christ. And you know why? Often because they're focused on things that were peripheral a different style, a different taste, a different something that was a personal preference. 
Never, people. Paul says, you know, join together on the things that unite us. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's knowing Christ. And it's living for him. You know when we're doing that? When we're doing that, we have a heart full of joy together as a church. We really will. And Paul goes on to say in verse 6, in the NIV, this is what it says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul not only finds great joy in the partnering in the gospel and knowing that the Philippian church were doing that, but he finds great joy in the fact that knowing what God begins, he will finish. God doesn't make any mistakes. You know, uh, God doesn't start something and then think, oh, that was the wrong thing to do. I might go back and do it again. And when he starts a work in your life, when he begins to, to speak to you, God's going to continue that on and he's going to complete it. And he was so pleased at this point because he was writing to the church and he was confident that the things that, that began that day at the riverbank and in the jail, was, uh, at, in the jail would continue on and they had been working on and they had been growing. Why? Not because of Paul's hard work, although he worked very hard. Not because of their hard work, although they did work very hard, but because what God starts, he finishes. When God works, he doesn't make mistakes. Sadly, we see many people who, who we thought God was at work in, but somehow now they're far from God. And we've got to scratch our heads and say, you know, what's happened? And it seems now that God's not at work in their lives like he once was. But when, the, you know, often we kind of think, well, was God really at work in the first place? You know, were they just caught up in all the excitement of it? But when Paul looks at the Philippians, he's convinced that God's actually begun a good work and he knows he's going to see it on to the very end. And that brings him joy. That brings him joy. There's no doubt that there are many people here this morning, and you may be one of them, that feel perhaps hurt. Perhaps you feel worn out. Perhaps you feel uh, you know, really too tired to go on. Maybe you've been uh, really trying to live the Christian life and just recently you've had people that have said thoughtless things to you. Or perhaps you've just been so exhausted and you feel like nobody's been noticing Maybe it's been a long time since you've felt the, the warmth of God's love on your face. And maybe you think, this joy, joy, joy down in my heart, it just seems a long way away. And perhaps memorising this scripture might be a good start for you. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on. Will carry it on. God hasn't finished with you. In fact, he's going to finish what he's begun. You can trust in him. You can find joy in knowing that one day he's going to, uh, he's going to come back again and all that he's begun he's going to finish in you. As a church, we can think that. You know, many, many years ago, a small group of people began and they started this church and they said, we believe God's 
you know, leading us to start this church. And over the years, we've, we've grown, we've expanded, we've, things have changed and everything, you know, so many changes are going on. You know, many of you can remember when you just walked in and had your own favourite car park every week. You know, those times have changed, haven't they? Sometimes we have to park right over the other side of the thing and walk and walk. Things have changed, but you can be sure that things will continue to change and grow and continue to follow on until God's work is finished. One day he'll come, he'll return again, stand before us and he'll say, time's time's up. And he'll say, well done. And he'll finish the work in us. You know, you might think of me, look, you might think to yourself, look, at Jonathan, you don't know the sin in my life. You know, I've tried to follow Christ. I've tried to, to live for him. I've tried to continue. To, you know, often we, we think God could never, ever continue to work in us. But God's just saying, turn to me. Come back. Confess your sin. Act, you know, come to me because I'm doing the work in you, not you. I want to forgive you. I want you to turn around. I want to start living for me again fresh and new. I don't think God can't forgive you. He already has and he wants to, you to continue to grow to become like him. He wants to complete the work that he's begun in you and it's he that will do it in you. And that's what Paul finds great joy in. He finds heaps of joy in that. Paul says, that's quite small isn't it? Can you read all that? Paul says, it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you've been very, you have a very special place in my heart, and we've shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassions of Christ. Paul says it's just completely normal that I feel this way about you. The reason I feel this way about you is because of the special place you have in my heart. Because from that day we've been you know, partnering together. We've shared the blessings of God. We've joined an incredible experience of seeing God working and that's what joins us together. You know, When I was in prison, you were with me. You were partnering with me. When I was out defending the truth and telling others, you were also with me doing the same. We've shared in that. And God knows how much I love you, Paul says, in this real open, generous display of love. He says, God knows how much I love you, the Philippians church. He doesn't hold back. He says, I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. Some of you got the King James Version. You know what it says there in that, um, the tender compassions of Christ? It says, I long after you in all the bowels of Christ Jesus. And the original Greek word in the New Testament refers to the upper intestines, um, kind of the, the heart, liver and the lungs, the place that was perceived to be the deepest source of emotion. And Paul was talking about the very deepest longings that Jesus has for them is how I feel for you. Do you ever know that? Someone who's led you to the Lord. Someone who's encouraged you when you've been down. Someone who's stood by you and no one else would. Someone who's helped you and pushed you through to the next step, to live a life that Jesus had, had, has called you to, that helped God continue his work so it will be completed on the day. you ever known someone like that? Of course you have. You love them. Love them so deeply. 
love them so deeply because of what they've done. That's what I love about this church. We're a church that seems to have a lot of joy in it. I think the joy just doesn't come from funny jokes. It comes from someone just calling just at the right moment with a smile, with a card, with a bunch of flowers. It's a, a love that's seen in a friend who prays night and day for a brother or a sister who's far from God and finally sees them coming to know him and trust in him. It's a love that uh, you've seen on the faces of kids' church people when they kind of high-five each other at the end of a week when a child has said they just want to be God's friend. It's a love that comes when leaders of Youth United you know, talk to kids who say, you know, once I felt like I couldn't fit in, but now I feel like this is where I belong. I feel the love of Jesus here. It's a love that comes from encouraging each other, spurring one another on, because we're on the same team. We're joining in together in partnering in the gospel. We're joining in together as a church and showing God's love. Paul finishes this passage today in verses uh, 9 to 11 by praying for the Philippians. He says, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will... Keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are reproduced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul prays. Paul prays that they will continue to grow in maturity, that their lives will be blameless, that they will continue to grow in love and in joy. And maybe at this point we should just pause and pray that for our church, uh, that we will continue to grow. Why don't we spend just a moment in prayer together? God, this morning we want to pray for our church. God, you're the head of the church. God, we want to pray that your love would be seen in our lives. God, that our, our love for each other would overflow more and more. And God, that we would keep growing in knowledge and in understanding of who you are. God, that we would understand what really matters so that our lives would be pure, that our lives would be blameless. Until that day, Lord Jesus, when you return, when you come for us. God, we pray that we would be filled with the fruit of a righteous life. God, that the fruit of your spirit, the fruit of joy would be seen in our lives. And God, that this will bring you much praise and glory. And that people who know about our church, Wodonga District Baptist Church, would be filled with joy and would praise you because of all that we're doing here. Oh God, this is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just, just finally this morning, uh, the Special Olympics is something that happens every uh, very often, a regular event just like the Olympics. And athletes from all over the world gather together for the Special Olympics. 
Now, the fanfare, the celebrities, the uh, music, the excitement, they're nearly as huge and as grand as the Olympics themselves. Um, people who participate, they know what it means to actually give their best. They know what it means to have trained for months and months, and some trained for years for the Special Olympics. And what happens is when they get together, they give it their best shot. You know, several years ago, five handicapped uh, finalists gathered at the starting line, and their hearts were pounding. They were young people. They were handicapped, and they were running the 100-metre race. The grandstands were full, and they were the finalists in this final sort of race, and it was for medals. And they sort of lined up at the starting blocks, and they waited, and the starter's gun sounded, and the crowd erupted as the runners ran through. And you could tell just by looking for them from the way they ran that they were handicapped. But they ran with all their heart and with their determination to make it to the finish line. But as they were running, one of the runners stumbled and fell straight down, <coughs> sprawled out onto the track. And within just a moment, the whole crowd came to a ooh and a hush in those moments. And just at that moment, one of the other runners noticed that the other one had fallen and stopped running and turned back. And the other runners joined with this other runner. And together they picked up the fallen runner who couldn't themselves get back up. And they carried them together over the finish line. Oh, church, uh, don't you want to become a, a church like those runners that encourage each other to partnership in the gospel, that build one another up to help people know Jesus and love him? And boy, we would know what it really means to win because we know the joy of joining in, the joy of joining in in the gospel. May you know that joy. Amen. I wonder this morning, as we respond, I'd just like to give you just a few moments now, just you before you and God to complete just this uh, blue card this morning. We want you to do.